Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Episode number three. Three. Episode number three of Sweat Equity. I pause because I've been calling this New Heights just because I know I've been wanting to talk about New Heights. I mean, let's be real. We we want to be the Kelsey Bros. Who's who? I mean, Bro, if I'm Jason, <laughs> we have a problem. No, I'm just <laughs> saying, one, they, they look at us, they line us up. One of us is playing nose tackle and an Amy, you know? That's fair, bro. That's, <laughs> the worst part is uh, we playing peewee football. I was the running back yeah. and then also the nose guard. Right, right, right. But I would get stupid amount of tackles. He oh, would, but he's the center. He's not even the center. You're like the Travis Hunter of Miami. Like Miami, like sixth grade peewee football. <laughs> You're the Travis sixth, Hunter of that. But playing nose guard. Yeah. Um. So if, if this is the first time tuning in, the way I would describe this show, and you know, Gus told us to kind of do this, the way I would I would describe what equity is, have you ever been at the, at the office and you've had the best brainstorming session ever with the team and you leave that shit like, holy shit, like the stuff that we're going to execute in the next, over the next three months is going to be hands down the best. Right. That is this podcast to me. 100%. That is like the best ideas, the best execution, the best uh, campaigns and strategies distilled into 45 minutes. Yeah. And really, I mean, to me, it's also that brainstorming session, like being aligned with somebody that has those same kind of business interests as you. Yeah. Like we're always going to be nerding out about marketing, brands, how people are tactically doing stuff. That's really all we talk about. And I mean, I don't know about you. It's made a tremendous difference in you know my ability to execute yeah. at the day job. So hopefully like you have some fun, but at the same time, you're learning some stuff. The other shit is like, this is literally what we talk about 24/7. when it's not, you yeah. know, when the when <laughs> the red light isn't going off and it's not recording like yeah. this is just what we talk about all the time and probably too often 100%. Is, is ideas like this 100%. um so let's jump into it i know we've got a lot of shit on this doc here's what i got for this uh for this episode how new heights has blown up in the sports category and become a top five podcast but the most interesting part is who they partnered with and why it was genius the next thing is just this idea of creating networks within your company and using it to build other media properties, other IP that you're uh, that you're building. And then we're going to talk about viral loops on my end. Talk about how Mailchimp grew from eighty five thousand users to over four hundred and fifty thousand users in one year, doing two things. I'm going to be talking a little bit about brands that created their own category. So the one that came to mind was Vivo Barefoot Shoes done an incredible job growing that business and just going to talk about how they did that. Uh, on the viral loop side, we'll talk a little bit about AI meeting recorders in mm. Zoom and how those are some of the fastest growing products in the software space. Lastly, going to tell everyone a little bit about how to send the perfect cold email. We yeah. both use cold email to really advance our careers and want to make sure that's available to as many people as we can. And finally, going to talk a little bit about the story of Sporty and Rich, which is an emerging female streetwear brand so super excited to get into it the first thing i wanted to talk about was new heights we might as well start there so you're familiar with new heights and it feels like in the last few months they've been fucking everywhere crazy thing is they started in like the range of six to nine months ago so not that long like it yeah. hasn't been around for forever maybe a year but even then growing a podcast is the hardest thing you can grow right, right? It's harder than growing a YouTube channel, social channels, because there's no distribution built in. So look at these numbers. Top five podcasts in the sports category. Crazy. It has over 960,000 YouTube subs, over 750 Instagram followers, 
and then 1.7 million followers on TikTok. Mm. Absolute wild numbers, Huge. right? But how did they grow it? So the, fa- the crazy part to me is they partnered with Wave Sports Entertainment. And they partnered with Wave Sports Entertainment to handle three things. The creative, the production, and the distribution. Mm. The wild part about the distribution is Wave Sports Entertainment owns some of the biggest channels on social that if you're in sports, you've consumed content from one of their channels. So think right. things like uh, Juke, Break Ankles Daily, Buckets and Dingers, right? And across those channels, the numbers get even fucking crazier. 4 billion monthly video views, right? <laughs> 400 million global reach and 117 million total followers. So if I'm the Kelsey brothers, I'm looking for the right distribu- or the right partner to help me make this podcast big, to help me make it culture, et cetera. Yeah. They partnered and they got hooked up with Wave Sports Entertainment, who has all the distribution and the team to help them make this like a huge podcast. Right. Right. It's been crazy to see because now any social clip that goes viral on their page is now distributed on Jukes Daily, on Break Angles, whatever, like all their their completely their complete distribution uh channel. So kind of wild. Oh, dude. I mean, it's insane. As I'm hearing you talk about Wave, I just couldn't help but think about other aggregators in the space. Obviously, Barstool came up yep. this way. Overtime came up this way. Bleacher Report, like all of these kind of like social first sports media brands, they just feed off of content. Like yeah. they're always just harvesting, harvesting, harvesting. To actually plug in and be with one of them as an official partner, it's interesting because, you know, Bleacher Report and Overtime and bar- like Barstool and Overtime in particular, I feel like they really tried to make their own IP. Yeah. Overtime obviously did Overtime Elite, you know, their youth basketball league where they're trying to showcase these athletes from high school all the way to the pros. And then everyone knows they came from overtime. So that'll create that flywheel, right? As they get the best athletes that are known for going yeah. to the NBA and they'll always get the eyeballs that way. Barstool obviously has mastered their own IP, doing all sorts of stuff, really personality driven, but like you don't really have any face of wave, mm-hmm. right? Like juke, break ankles daily. Like these are just highlight aggregators. And yeah. so now that they're kind of layering services into their offer and they're like, look, we know how to go viral. We know everything you need to do to share this content, to make it go everywhere immediately. What athlete would not want to partner with them? I mean, this is perfect. If you're, if you're podcast P, if you're any of these guys launching their own thing, it's like, dude, I'm watching the Steph Curry podcast and then Wave is chopping it up. Like, absolutely. Especially when their entire account base is just sports shit. 100%. Like it's perfect distribution for so anybody hard. that's in the sports arena that wants to start a podcast. Yeah. And now they see the success of Travis and Kelsey's podcast or of New Heights. Right. Why would you not work with Wave Sports? No. I I'm mean, so curious to see like in the next few months, do, do other big names sign with, right, with them? Right. I don't know why you wouldn't. What comes to mind as well is like uh, Draymond went yeah. with Colin Cowherd's thing, the volume. Yeah. And the volume... I don't know what that is. Yeah. I know who Colin Cowherd is, right? But like, I don't really know like what's going on with his own sports network, his own sports media stuff. And, you know, you know about Draymond's podcast, but it doesn't really seem like it's important who he's associated with. Yeah. So for Wave to take this, you know, behind the scenes, like we don't even care if anyone knows that we do the New Heights podcast. Like you had to look that up, yeah. right? Like it wasn't- I had no idea. Yeah, I don't think they get tagged in any of these mm. or, or anything like that, but it's just such a savvy business play. And I mean, dude, that's crazy if they're going to keep 
launching these. And supposedly they're the CPMs that they're charging is like 100% over market price. Oh, yeah. Right. Just because one, how sticky that podcast is. Yeah. But I bet you Way Sports is bringing in a stupid amount of cash. I'd be so curious to know what the deal is, though. Like, yeah. you yeah, think yeah. they're getting 20%, 10%, 30% of like, of ads? Like, I, I'm so curious there. So have you seen this thing about all these popular podcasters getting scammed recently? No. The Theo Vaughn thing and Brandon Schwab, they both got scammed out oh, of a bunch yeah. of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some podcast player. Yeah. So I watched the CoffeeZilla on that uh, yesterday. Wild, bro. So apparently, basically, like this done for you distribution, like this is a dream for any influencer, right? Like I just get to create my content and then you help me monetize it for a fixed fee. You're almost That's, there, bro. Sounds awesome. Who? Us? You're almost there. Uh, how many sponsors we got for the pod? <laughs> Still waiting. <laughs> hey, come on. Uh, but no, like that that's all they want to do is they yeah. just want to create their content and, you know, let someone else monetize it, do the business side of things. And so that happened with Theo Vaughn and Brandon Schwab, where this guy came to them and he was like, look, I will sell your ads. I will monetize every different revenue stream here, whether that's merch or, you know, webinars, who, who knows, right? Exclusive events. And he did it for what he described as a minimum guarantee. So when you're a big podcaster, it's like, sure, like, yeah, 30%. That sounds good. But like, if that's not 500 racks, then like, I don't want to work with you. So like, I don't want to be responsible for you having a down month. So you got to come up with this amount of cash. And that's the minimum guarantee. So this guy apparently kept signing new big names with these huge minimum guarantees and no revenue to back it up. So he just created this like death spiral where it's like, he's got to pay Theo Vaughn 300K. He's got to, and I don't know if that's the real number. Like he's got to pay someone 300K. He's got to pay this person 300K and he's only got 500K. And so, you know, he just had to like keep signing new clients to keep getting new revenue streams. Eventually well runs dry and you run out of cash. Dude, I haven't seen this. I need to go down the... I I saw like Theo Vaughn tweet about it or somebody talk about it, but I didn't go down the rabbit hole and yeah. I forgot about it. I'll have to go Dude, down it. You you know someone messed up when Theo Vaughn's upset with you. Yes. Like <laughs> if you have Theo Vaughn mad at you, you fucked up, man. Like something's so, so wrong. Just so fair. He seems like the nicest dude of all time. So someone else that's doing this, but in the B2B space is HubSpot. Yeah. And I don't know if you've paid attention much to what they're doing like with their creator network and podcast networks, but it is honestly phenomenal. So they have 35 different shows with millions and millions of downloads across all pods. And this is shows like My First Million, The Hustle Daily Show, uh, Create Like the Greats, again, Marketing Against the Grain, Creator Science, right? The difference though between what Wave Sports Entertainment and HubSpot is doing is they're not selling ads. So they bu- built this entire uh, podcast network just to promote HubSpot. Right. And also to promote other pods. So now if you join HubSpot's podcast network and you listen, and you know, you're my first million listener and Creator Science is another, let's say big podcast with, with 200,000 or 300,000 downloads a month, they'll swap placements within the podcast to promote each other. Now they create this giant network effect where all the pods are grown simultaneously. Yeah. And then on top of that, that is one of the, like, let's say the mid-roll placement. But then the, the, the first placement is a PubSpot ad. <laughs> it is literally like the most perfect thing that they're leveraging it to grow all either A, the product they own or the IP that they own. Yeah. I wonder, uh, something I've always been really curious about with the HubSpot Podcast Network is how much of it is these other pods versus my first million. Like, I'd be super curious to see the distribution of audience past 
I don't know where they're ranked these days, but they're like a, one of the top business podcasts out yeah. there versus like, you know, I think uh, the CMO has one. It's like mark, like marketing, marketing against the grain. Grain, yeah. Like how big is that delta between the two? It's right? huge. It's huge. It's huge. And so, you know, is there a move to continue to do the rising tide lifts all boats and or acquire another big podcast in the business space with its own audience. Yeah. Turn that audience onto HubSpot features and stuff. So I like don't that. think they're using my first million to push pods really anymore. But really? Because they were for a while. They were. Yeah. Right. Like you would hear the Jordan Harbinger show on there. You would hear like. It's the right? only place I heard about it. Yeah, exactly. I've no never shame. heard of that. Yeah. yeah not like, at all. Like it's just uh, Entrepreneur on Fire. Mm-hmm. The other one, like I only know c- those pods because of my first million, but I don't see them doing that anymore. But the other podcasts, I think they're all in that range of like, we have 10,000 downloads to 100,000 downloads a month, Right. where if the person has 10,000 is probably going to promote this one X amount of times, like you could swap impressions. There's like a lot of things you could do do to manipulate it. But I don't think it's like my first million is going to be the one promoting, you know, the, I don't want to throw shade, but like the smaller podcast anymore and it makes it makes fucking sense like why would you in every podcast it's hard to grow like i'm not saying that you know it's it's this thing that you can just turn on but like yeah maybe that was the thesis right is oh we're going to acquire these bigger podcasts and it's all going to trickle downstream and that's just not looking into user behavior no like people only have a finite amount of podcast listening they're going to do on a weekly basis so if you're listening to us thank you but seriously like it's crazy and you can only listen to maybe what two to four hours a week if you're trying to do it on your commute working yeah. out maybe you want to listen to some true crime maybe you don't want business entertainment the whole time yeah. so you know how much information overload is there um which i think they're doing a good job of niching down as well like having a marketing only podcast versus having an all business entertainment or you know having it just make it a little more tactical yeah. um I think they're doing a good job of that. But. I think the original thesis, though, works of where do you go to find podcast listeners in other podcasts? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the easiest thing. I, I mean, we're doing it with marketing exam and on the on the side of like we have all these other news. Like there's marketing exam and that's the largest one. But then we have all these other newsletters that are relative to marketing exam. And if you're reading marketing exam, but you're really in content marketing, you'd want to sign up for content uh, right. exam or right. DTC exam or whatever. And there's whatever that it trust is. too, right? 100%. Like there's the, oh, I, I I liked his content marketing tips. Maybe he can also teach me how to do social media. Maybe he can also teach me how to run my e-com biz. What do you got? So I want to talk about a trend that has really gotten a facelift, I would say, over the last five years. I'm going to talk about barefoot shoes and particularly this one company, Vivo. So we all know Barefoot Shoes as your homie who was like kind of weird, wore the webbed feet. And like I'm talking like 2011. Bro, Zara has webbed feet. Uh, that's fine. I'm not throwing shade. No. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like he mentions the daughter. You got to yeah, come bro. off that. Uh, but uh, no, like it used to be like this really weird product category where like it wasn't something that hybrid athletes were doing it was more so like an outdoorsy thing or maybe like a hippie thing but you trained it on it you did ayahuasca right right and you had an open relationship and now i'm here to tell you you don't have to get high to wear vivo barefoot (laughs) shoes um (laughs) these are so what's crazy about this is so we're we're big digital marketing guys right we like to look at the numbers i'm gonna throw some numbers at you barefoot shoes as a category has forty thousand searches per month guess what vivo has 
six six figures. Yeah, it's just over a hundred k. That's insane, crazy. right? Like they have created their own category. And how did they do that? They took this low NPS type of product, which was barefoot shoes. It was weird, right? Like it was weird. It was cushy, whatever. And they turned it into a cool lifestyle shoe mm. that you wouldn't feel embarrassed to wear. Yeah. So now you're just strictly selling on the benefits of barefoot shoes, which there are a lot of. Maybe it reduces plantar fasciitis for some people. Maybe it helps you you know, move better, whatever it is. They've kind of opened up this entire new consumer demographic to their product by just not making it weird. And so I just, I was blown away when I looked up how big this business was. Um, there's a couple other players in the space that don't even shake a stick at them. I think conservatively, Vivo's probably doing 200 a year domestically here in the US, maybe like 150 to 200. Uh, and they're just huge. And it just blows my mind that people can have this entire thought about a product and then a brand comes in and changes that entire framework. I read somewhere that part of their growth was they had a crazy uh, influencer seeding strategy. Really? Yeah. yeah. Them and uh, this other company like Monkey Feet, which I think is like that thing that uh, the knees over toe guy would use that where it's like you either right. A, it's like for your hip flexor or B, it's the one where like you strengthen whatever the front of uh, like your tibia is like yep. in that area. Uh, the tibialis anterior yeah. i think sure come on you just gonna let me call have for this oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, why are you no. gonna drop it like this <laughs> same guy that taught me about vivos fair okay uh, but like knees over toes guy like and he that, uses them that wasn't an influencer 10 years ago right like no. this kind of like mobility first like you know rejecting traditional means of of becoming athletic like it's a really interesting niche to watch continue to grow and I think Vivo is the perfect product that kind of encapsulates that. So now that I think of it, the, 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 there was one person who like really started that trend or started to make it mainstream when um, Instagram started growing and everything. And that was Kelly Starrett, I think is his name. And he like uh, wrote a book called Becoming a Supple Leopard. Have you ever read that? Becoming a what? A Supple Leopard. Nah, but I'm so interested. Such a good title. <laughs> yeah. Becoming a Supple Leopard. Such a good title. Uh, the design of it's dope, but he was big on that. Like, if you look at the book, the entire thing, I'm pretty sure he's barefoot yeah. in the entire book, like through yeah, all yeah. the exercises. And he was like one of those first people to be like, oh, it's not enough to just be flexible. You need to be mobile. Right. Like, being flexible is, I know this is a marketing pod, but like, uh, you, you're flexible in like a static position. And right. mobility is being able to have those ranges of motion, but while you're, you're active. Anyways. He was one of the first people to to make it mainstream and kind of make it cool. But it has then grown with people like, well, even people like Joe Rogan, who talks about it a lot, but then uh, Knees Over Toes guy. And there's a significant amount of people that I follow now that all of their content and they're all in this like 500,000 million plus uh, followers. Yeah. Everybody uses that the Vivo Barefoot, right? right? Like it's now just, it's like these organic product placements. It's this UGC but I did hear a lot of that stemmed from an influencer seeding strategy where like they they were getting it out to like five, 600 people a month. Damn. And and there was like a crazy like 40 or 50% post rate of the people that received it, 40, 50% posted it. And because of that, they got, it was like 1,200 to 1,600 different assets a month for Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. UK-based company, that UK takeover. It's happening. Same, same shit with Gymshark. Yeah. That was another, prime, like, 100%. I don't have enough data to, like, talk about Gymshark. 
but I know their entire thing or their entire like Big growth story shooting. was was influencer. I mean, just look led. at Gymshark. So like Gymshark and Fabletics. Yeah. I feel like had the same market opportunity, right? Like Lulu's too expensive for men. Like no one wants to wear Under Armour anymore. So like we need like a more kind of like cool looking athleisure, yeah. athletic wear brand. And Fabletics came in and they were like, we are going to lock you into a subscription for <laughs> shorts every month. I don't know what was going on there, but Gymshark was like, we're just going to put this on everyone that you see on social media yeah. and they're going to look awesome. And you're going to want to wear it too. Worked to a T. I am so curious about what Fabletics retention is. I don't know. Be, be. Like, because it is impossible to cancel that thing. I oh, kept yeah. the Fabletics uh, membership under actually three accounts yeah, for yeah, yeah. because I always wanted that deal. It was like two shorts for $24. So like yeah. my old roommate, Blake, I was like, Blake, what's your email? I got to get this subscription. So I had one under him. I had one under Vanessa and I had one under me yeah. every month. But you have until the fifth to cancel that next month before you get charged like $59 right. for, for a pair of shorts or whatever it is. But the other funny thing is Fabletics does. I don't know if you've gotten hit by this. Do they run in a like ungodly amount of ads through Kevin Hart's page. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like not even I... like uh, they're not Kevin Hart though. Right. That's the dumb part. Is to me is they're using Kevin Hart's page to run like these just whack ads that are either posters or other other people that just like wear Fabletics and not even using Kevin Hart. Yeah. No, hundred percent. It's so frustrating. They are how I discovered influencer whitelisting actually, um, which is the process of running ads from your brand through an influencer's account so that it looks more authentic. Still shows sponsored, but I mean, like, you're a little more likely to just like yeah. stop me like, what's Kevin got to say on my timeline yeah. right now? Like, is this going to be kind of funny? It never was. I think that was the problem with yeah. athletics. They probably should have leaned a little more into comedy. It should have leaned into uh, Kevin's strengths. Because like, look, Kevin, yeah, he's, he's an athlete. But like, didn't he just, I think he just tore his ACL trying to run a 40 yard dash, you know? Yeah. But imagine if that ad, <laughs> if that ad was like, yeah, I did tear my hip flexor, but guess what didn't tear my shorts. Why? I hilarious. got Fabletics. I would watch Boom. that. It would yeah. have been fucking hilarious. It would have been a great moment for Fabletics. <laughs> we are still available. Fabletics. <laughs> yeah. If you need this turnaround, we got you. I'll do it for a free subscription to these shorts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do love the idea though, that you brought up with Vivo of creating your own category. Yeah. So like, have you ever seen Magic Mind? Yes, 100%. So that is a perfect Those example shots, of yeah. yeah of them creating their own category because when 5-Hour Energy came out, there was there were energy shots with Monster, Red Bull, mm -hmm. Bang, like all yeah. these different energy drinks. That is like just this energy drink, energy shot market. Then Magic Mind comes around as like, hey, you actually shouldn't be having that much caffeine. You think it's helping you? It's not. It's not making you more productive. Right. So we developed a productivity shot, which is now like all these like, very, it's like juice land in, in a little bottle. You take a shot, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's now labeled as a productivity. It seems shot. like every ingredient was like plucked from the same garden in your back, in your backyard. One hundred percent matcha, adaptogens, nootropics, immunity, yeah. and it's like, but just the the way and even their the way they position it here, the world's first productivity shot. Literally, mm -hmm. like just like the easiest way to win the race is if you only race by yourself. Dude, the world's first is such a risky tagline to me. Like it is. <laughs> if you if you actually are telling the truth, like if you are the world's first, props to you, but so many people say they're the world's first whatever and I just immediately am like are you though? But dude, they own the term like search productivity. Magic mind is. Yeah. yeah, but they yeah. search the term productivity shot on Google, all it comes up to is magic mind. Similar uh Literally, similar like, couple of brands like adjacent to that 
is number one. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of this. Mud water. I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? Tastes like ass. Really? You didn't like it? Or did you, have you done it? Never tried it. Like, they never got me. I have like six or seven cans at the house. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's disappointing. Um, but so I don't even know how they scaled so much because, or actually I do because of this exactly what we're talking about. They're positioning themselves. It's kind of like how Virgil says to make something original, you just need to tweak it 3%, right? And like mud water and like rise superfoods, like they're both these kind of like coffee alternatives. Like, dude, all they're doing is just throwing adaptogens and all this stuff yeah. in their product to make it arguably taste not as good as regular coffee. And they're positioning as, do you get jitters from coffee? Yep. Well, you should try this. Like, do you get anxious after you've had so, 500 yeah. milligrams of caffeine? Like, yeah. bitch, everybody does. Yeah, like I just drank <laughs> two cups of cold brew, bro. I'm tweaking. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And so I see the ad and I'm like, yo, maybe I could actually fo- I hit a flow state. Like, so it's it's a super impressive positioning. Uh, I wonder, like you said earlier, churn, it's got to be pretty heavy. The difficult thing with me with mud water is when I wake up, I love to like crack open an energy drink. Yeah. And it's a clean one. So I'm not like cranking open. Which one? Which one? Alani's. Oh, nice. Oh, no, no. Now it's Gorilla Mine, which is what we talked about. Yeah. Which is the guy that like more plates, no dates or whatever. No yeah, dates, yeah, more yeah. plates guy. It's his. And it's like supposedly very clean and all the ingredients are in there. But I love to have that like crisp, you know, energy drink in the morning. You want to hear, you wanna hear yeah. the can open. When I did mud water, it was like, fuck. Yeah. I was putting off like drinking my energy routine, you know, drink. Right, right. Because I was like, shit, this does not taste good. Yeah. And they tell you like, do this and this to, to make it taste better. But it's like, I don't want to do all that. And you got to get like the little mini blender. Yeah. You, know? you got to stir in the powder. Just like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's so, so demoralizing. Um, all right. Let's switch it up. What you got? The other thing I want to talk about was Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. he's everywhere right influencer now. seating yeah <laughs> i mean come on <laughs> like wild. wild so this last weekend was by far one of the dopest like master class in marketing that was so organic so that it was it was amazing to watch from like from the stands so over the weekend he drove 4.5 million dollars in sales for blenders eyewear yeah. Which is a crazy number. So the way he did it was so interesting. So it started with the Colorado coach or Colorado state coach saying uh, in an interview saying that when I talk to grownups, I take my sunglasses off and my hat off. Right. Essentially throwing shade, for lack of a better term, nice. throwing shade at Deion Sanders. Nice pun. Yeah. And the, the rest, like the master class in marketing came from how Deion Sanders responded to all of this. And the way I like to think about it is Deion thinks in headlines. What can I do that is a story for somebody to tell and for somebody to share and creates this narrative that then more people get behind it, right? So the first thing he did was he bought his entire team sunglasses, gave it to his entire team, his entire put it on social, and his bought. entire yeah they gave him 150 pairs. I wonder if Leonard yeah. was just like, yo, here you they go. They did. I, I read an article where it was like they just gave him 150 pairs, yeah, and he was like, hey, sure. I need Brilliant. it. Yeah, gave him 150 pairs. He put it on social. I looked at how many backlinks it got, and it got in the hundreds of backlinks from mm. media outlets writing about it, Bleach Report, uh, GQ Sports, all this, like just covering the story. Then he goes on to, to uh, tell the entire fan base to wear sunglasses to the game. Again, amplifying this fucking narrative, right? right? And the bigger the narrative gets, the more people want to get behind it. So two days before the game, there's all the pregame interviews. 
he gets on with First Take. He's on there with Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp. Well, he doesn't come empty-handed, right? In his pocket, in his primetime pockets, he has shades. Hands a pair to Stephen A., Shannon Sharp, and this other lady that's on, on, uh, on the interview. Then he's on with Pat McAfee. Does the same thing. Gives them all shades. Then The Rock makes a guest appearance. And The Rock busts out his shirt, says, hey, Colorado all day, baby. Colorado's taking it home. And he's already wearing sunglasses and, and prime time's like, no, no, Rock, I got something for you. Let's take these off. Puts on these blenders. He now does the rest of the interview, the rest of his tea time in, uh, TV time in blenders as well. The wild part that nobody has talked about is the fact that The Rock posted on Instagram five times in those sunglasses. And I'm talking about like prime time uh, shots where it's like The Rock doing his, you know, his smile and his oh, like yeah. thing. I mean, they with look good, blenders, dude. eyewear. Yeah. Pat McAfee posted three times. Uh, Stephen A. and Shannon Sharp all posted on social as well. That is over 400 million followers that Blenders Eyewear got in front of. It's crazy. And so Blenders now just became the core of this entire narrative, which is a perfect representation of like just organic product placements throughout all this, this coverage, all this social content, all this media coverage, TV time, all this airtime, et cetera. You just put a product in there, but the the key to it is, and I've heard people knock this as like, oh, storytelling matters, storytelling. Uh, how do you? What is the brand that actually injects storytelling into their ship? This is a perfect example of Deion Sanders making a narrative, crafting a story, and then putting this product at the center of it. Yeah, I mean, another thing about it is uh, when you see an influencer of his status, you get this opportunity to catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah. This was completely unplanned. Obviously, Prime wears his sunglasses all the time and he's super visible. You got this percent chance of 15, 20% that like Colorado is just really good this year. And he's, we're having the narrative that we're having right now. Like, yeah. but this was not planned. Like, it wasn't predicted. Like, last year they won one game. Yeah. Right now they're three and oh. So, like, no one kind of anticipated this meteoric rise. And then you get the Colorado State coach saying, I take my shades off and I talk to adults. I mean, it's just insane. First of all, that that guy would ever even think to call out Dion. Like, out of all people, right? Yeah, like, bro. You know you're getting put in a body bag. Then second of all, like, I just the sheer amount of luck that can go into your brand blowing up. Like, those shades are super cool. I don't know if I would buy them on an Instagram app. I wouldn't. Now? That I, I now that want a pair. Just because of, pair. like, this whole situation, this whole narrative, I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm out of like I'm left out if I don't buy it. 100%. And like it's one of those things where it's created this shared like if you know you know kind of kind of vibe with anyone else that has those shades on or they see the prime on there and they're like, "Oh, you you Dion yeah. guy." Like, are you bandwagon fan too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> were you rocking with him at Jackson State? Probably not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's crazy. And you know, they're uh Blenders is part of they they've got like um I think they're based out of San Diego and uh, I would guess that they were doing anywhere from like 10 to 20 a year now. And then they just got the Black Friday boost without even having to do anything other than front 150 yeah. shades to his team. I mean, it's crazy. Dude, I, the other two parts that were crazy was the Google search trends history for primetime sunglasses, Deion Sanders sunglasses, and what sunglasses does Deion Sanders wear? It's like this. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just literally vertical. a Colorado mountain. It is like, yeah absurd just blew up yeah uh the other thing that was cool to pay attention to is 
how Blender's Eyewear was responding to the whole situation. Mm. Because like I, I saw their landing page on day one versus day three of like taking advantage of this. And it went oh, from really? like having just a product placement or like a product in uh, their category, or sorry, in, in their catalog to full blown on landing page for Dion that says like, we come in now or something like that. Like yeah. we come in something like that. That's dope. And just like, you know, optimizing for this situation. For sure. I mean, that's the crazy thing is we talk a lot about legacy brands not necessarily being ready for the moment, yeah. right? Like imagine if this happened to, you know, Ray-Bans or yeah. like someone like that, like they're not going to be able to push through no. all the red tape within 24 hours to get a full site revamp. No. Everyone working around the clock overnight. Like Blenders is a sophisticated direct to consumer brand digital first like they understand all the things that they need to do to capture a moment and i mean 4.5 million in a weekend wasn't that the final number yeah like and you know it's that's still climbing ridiculous. it's still climbing and i mean shades are notoriously high margin so yeah. i'm sure it went you know that that padded the bank account a little bit so not we, having to spend that on facebook ads yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on bro. another brand that did it was new balance so mm. you saw the whole thing with like coco golf won the us yeah, open right and then it was like within minutes of Coco Golf winning, they handed her a shirt that said, call me Coco. Coco was slashed out. And so it said, call me champion. Mm. Right. And it's hard. Yeah. And on I, they posted a picture of it on IG, like the saying within minutes on the comment section. It's like, we want this shirt. Please make this as a shirt. And if you went to New Balance's page, it was like already a whole landing page of Coco Golf, what she wore on the court, what was trending on the court and that new T-shirt. And so they like they did a masterful execution of, hey, this may never see the light of day, but if it does, if we're lucky and she does win and she's our top sponsored athlete, everybody's going to buy the shirt. Everybody's going to buy her shoes. Now, I will say one thing. I bought the shirt. Mm -hmm. The material is ass. Really? Bro, it's because they thought they were going to send those shirts bro. overseas after it she didn't win. They didn't believe. <laughs> it, it is customink.com. That's tough. That's tough. Come on. Like, it was... I was going to wear it on this podcast today because I got it yesterday and I was hyped mm -hmm. and I paid 30, 40 dollars, whatever for it. It came in and I was like, this is this Damn. is not it. Damn. This is not it. It just reminds me when you said that, it just reminded me of how like whenever a team like is in like Super Bowl or like AFC championship, <laughs> both teams have the shirts ready for them on the spot. And like they just always got to like air freight those out to, you know, some overseas country and just donate them. Yes. Dude, that what they should do is like whatever team wins the Super Bowl, they should do something where they partner with a company like Kith mm. and to do Super Bowl merch. Like whatever team's going into the Super Bowl. Yeah, the, make it more the, of a collector's item. 100%. You have like the graphics made and then you don't have to actually get it or like have it in stock. You could have it to pre-sell, but like you could have a good amount of units and then push like a sick product that a lot of people would buy. 100%. And honestly, like, that's such a good point because you always see the the ad placement right after the Super Bowl where like yeah. the official Super Bowl winning t-shirt. It's like, bro, I'm cool. Like I don't need it right then and there. Like I would order it in like two days. Like you're saying like a yeah. pre-order and then like get it a week later. Like Especially if it's dope. Yeah. There's only one time piece. I've ever bought in like <laughs> a one of the championship shirts the second they won and that was the Heat in 2006. Oh six. Oh six. Damn. When drop D Way drop was averaging thirty nine in the finals, Crazy. bro. Yeah. RIP to the Mavs. So keeping with uh Kith, um, I got an ex Kith alumni I want to talk about. So have you heard about the brand Sporty and Rich? No. So this is a uh women's street 
street style brand that is taken over right now. And it's started by this girl, Emily Oberg. Um, Emily is a 29 year old bootstrapped entrepreneur who basically turned this brand from her personal mood board into a full lifestyle apparel, whatever it is. Like they, they do everything. Mm, A couple of things that are really cool about her. She started out as a fashion reporter when she was 20 at complex from there. She just went straight into working at Kith. She studied under Ronnie Feig, I think, Feig, Feig. Um, Terrible pronouncing shit. Yeah, it's one of those things. I've never said the name out loud, (laughs) so just winging it. But so she studied underneath him. She was eventually like head of women's wear at Kith. And all the while, she's building her own personal following. So she has this kind of like brash, like slightly flexing but like you know just a appreciation for like luxury and nostalgia and country club aesthetics so what does she do she turns her entire mood board into a brand and that's now sporty and rich it's going pretty well a uh, couple of things that are notable recently so number one this is not cheap to do she recently opened a storefront in soho in new york that's a pretty steep rent payment yeah obviously you got to be crushing into that Number two, she actually collabed with Adidas and Lacoste recently as well. So, you know, when huge brands are starting to like try and collab with you to get your audience, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah. When any time a legacy brand tries to piggyback off of you, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. You have what they want, which is relevance. And uh, number three is it's rumored that they're doing $30 million a year in revenue. And she is talking like they're going to be doing 100 within the next few. A couple of things that are really cool about Emily as well is so she's kind of notorious. Like she will say some things that are controversial every now and then. Um, And she doesn't really give a shit, to be honest. She said being healthy is a choice and that uh, a bag of lettuce is actually the same price as a Happy Meal. So (laughs) she's like, you have no reason not to be healthy. Thought that was maybe a little controversial, but it's true. Factually, she may be right. <laughs> it's true. Um, and she's also gotten into hot water over a couple other comments that got out of taken out of context. What I think is interesting about Sporting Rich, now she's positioning. Are you familiar with Goop? It's uh Gwyneth Paltrow had a brand. It was kind of like sexual health and wellness no. for like not like middle-aged, but like late 30s through your 40s women. John, um, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's very familiar. <laughs> and um, but they, they offer everything, dude, like everything from like facial, you know, moisturizer to yoga mats. Right. Gotcha. Like they, they got a whole thing. And it's basically like, do you fit into this? Do you identify as someone who would like goop? Yeah. yeah. Right. Now she's trying to do that but for younger mm. women. So, you know, think like 25 to 35. They're a little sporty. They want to be rich. And so they rock her brand. Super, super cool. What channels did she first like blow up on? IG. So she's okay. got 330,000 followers on Instagram. And that was her initial kind of rollout strategy. Yeah. It was very drop driven to her audience. Yeah. Very female focused audience. And I mean, dude, she's she's got like the perfect training for this, right? Like started out at a streetwear magazine with Complex, learned under the goat over at Kith. Like she knows what she's doing. And... Uh, you know, I think the transition to a wellness brand, she's obviously going to move into some super high margin products. I think she's going to try and position it, you know, with this general health and wellness wave that's going on right now. And then all the while, you know, you're wearing her different merch and stuff like that. 
Dude, I love to see how many apparel brands are starting to pop up over the last two years Yeah, that are just sick. Like they've nailed branding, they've nailed uh, the look, their shopping experience, everything. Like this, Carte Blanche. Right. Um, Represent. Represents another one. Like mm-hmm. there's actually the things I'm wearing, two things I'm wearing. Like yeah. it's it's dope. To and again, that's because I love that side of things. I love the streetwear and like apparel side of things, but it's dope to watch. It's interesting because I think what you're seeing is the top of the top creators who can turn into business people are transforming their personalities into brands. Yeah. Like the ability to take basically a Pinterest mood board and turn that into a full lifestyle brand is not something that everyone can do. Streetwear is a notoriously male dominated space. Yeah. Now she's kind of given, you know, something for the ladies out there. And I was honestly kind of heated. Because she didn't have any men's stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I want to I want to rock this crew neck. But yeah, super cool brand. So what really stands out to me about Emily is I feel like a lot of people talk about how should I start a brand? How should I start a brand? And the easiest way to do that is to build a following that follows you for a specific personality. She has this country club kind of like retro nostalgia aesthetic going on. And that's what all of her followers wanted to embody themselves. Yeah. So the natural next step for her is release a brand that's exactly what her audience needs. I think the other interesting thing and thing to take away from that is to if you if your end goal is to do something in that space, then take very strategic jobs. Yeah. She was at Complex. And after working with a fashion magazine, she moved on to Kith and she, right. and she started learning how people are or how Kith is like creating these different product drops and partnering with different brands and how they source source material, whatever, and how they do the entire thing. And then she went and did her own thing. Right. And that probably saved her so much time. So much headache. So, so much, much time, headache. so much headache, et cetera. Yeah. Even with with me. So like when I took the job at the hustle, it was very strategic. I knew I wanted to build a media company. I knew I wanted to start with newsletters. So I went to some to a company that was building one of the largest newsletters in the world. And then after that, I wanted to learn how two things, creator-led businesses, and then also how to work remote and async. So I joined Gumroad and I was a head of marketing for Gumroad. And from and at because of Gumroad, I got to learn all about creator businesses, how some of the, these creators are are, you know, building seven and eight figure brands, and then also how an entire company is ran through Notion and Slack without meetings. Super interesting. And then I did the complete opposite and I joined the collective as their CMO because I wanted to see like, okay, if you have eight people under you, what what is that like, right? right? If I'm going to eventually run a company and grow marketing exam and, and have people under me, like, what is it like to have a bunch of people that you have to manage and, and grow, get all together and grow something? So something I always just talk about is and want people to do is like every job you take, make it very strategic and it's a stepping stone to the to where you're trying to go to the actual destination, right. not just a paycheck. Yeah, you got to make it intentional. Yeah, um, definitely be intentional about where you're going. And you know, a lot of people will say like, you don't have to figure it out early in your career. You should, but you should try. You should. It, you know, it's worth a shot. So, dare I say, started at the bottom. Now we here. <laughs> dare I? I think the podcast is called Sweat Equity. So. <laughs> <laughs> we guys, we're still working. You know. Um, but so, I want to hear about viral loops, bro. I see this on here. This shit always catches my eye. hundred percent. And I think this is something that like, if you are a founder building a software product or anything that people are interacting with online, you need to pay attention to the segment. So yes. here's how you incorporate a viral loop into your project. 
This is the best example I've seen recently. Have you heard of fireflies.ai? No. So everyone takes Zoom meetings, right? What's the first thing that happens once everyone pops onto a Zoom meeting? It's that awkward like two to three minutes where like homeboy in the corner is calibrating his audio. Someone's on mute and they're trying to talk. Video's not working for the person that actually needs to be running the meeting. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Half the time when you're in there though, you see like this square in the bottom. It's a black square and it's like so-and-so's Fireflies AI, Alex's Fireflies AI. And you're like, wait, what is that? Fireflies AI is an AI-based meeting recorder, which will transcribe the text of the meeting into notes so that you can reference it later. So you don't have to be scribbling down the whole time. You can just watch the fireflies after the fact. What's really cool about them, they don't have to have one of the squares in that Zoom meeting. Like they're one of the seats at the table for that meeting. They don't have to have that. They have it because their name displays when everyone's looking at the Zoom screen. So what do you naturally do? If you're not familiar with it, you're like, yo, who, who is that? Is that... <laughs> Firefly. <laughs> yeah. And what a stupid name. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then the response from whoever's Fireflies it is, is that's my AI recorder. Yeah. If I don't know what an AI recorder is, and I feel like I'm bad at note-taking, I'm going to immediately look up Fireflies AI and try and download that thing. There's several others. There's like Otter AI and like a couple more. But it's a really strong example of like simply by using the product, people are familiar with what it is. You're turning your users into advocates. You're turning your users into people that are going to talk about your product, communicate what it does for you without you having to spend any money on marketing, any money on influencers, or any money on sales and distribution. It's just built right into the product. Every meeting is a Facebook ad. Yeah. Every meeting is an Instagram ad. Like it's every single time we get on a meeting, there's let's dive AI. Yeah. They're in our meeting. And I'm only aware of let's dive AI because of our meetings. Right. Right. So another company that grew because of this is MailChimp. Mm. Obviously not the same thing, but we all know MailChimp was acquired for $12 billion by Intuit. One of the biggest like bootstrap acquisitions ever, right? It, but in 2009, they grew from 85,000 users to 450,000 users in one year. Wow. That is absurd. Like I'd be happy to grow the, a newsletter that many by that many subs in one year. So the first thing they did was they introduced the freemium plan, right? Like they were one of the first people to introduce a freemium uh, model and you were allowed to have 2,000 contacts in your list before you know, you had to upgrade to uh, whatever their next tier was. Yeah. So you got to use the software, you got to build everything in the software, and then you hit that. It's like, once you're successful, oh shit, now I need to upgrade. Right. But there was one genius part about the, the freemium plan. So with the freemium plan, every email you sent had a little digital billboard at the bottom that said, made with MailChimp. And then it had, or other ones that said like built with MailChimp, whatever. You got to pick which one you wanted to use, but you had to use it. Because of that, everybody that got an email essentially now got an ad also for MailChimp. Right. Right. It is this digital billboard that every time somebody (laughs) receives it, they get to see it. The other genius part was now when you upgraded to one of the the higher tiered plans, yes, you could remove the MailChimp the MailChimp like banner at the bottom or their their kind of logo. But if you kept it, 
you got monkey rewards, which was AKA the referral program. Nice. And then you were now paid to keep it at the bottom and everybody that clicked it or signed up through that link, you would get paid for it. And this was just like, the, <laughs> you would receive $30 and they would also receive $30. So like, yeah. it was just like this win-win situation, which is another big thing with like, with these viral loops is it has to be a win-win situation for both like the person promoting it and the person receiving it. But right. It was one of the biggest things for MailChimp. Their paying customers grew by 150% and their profit grew by 650% in that same year. Like this is like the power if you can if you can fit in some viral loop into your into your acquisition model, I mean it'll crush. It's a complete game changer. Another like contemporary example of this right now is do you know TikTok doesn't do group chats? TikTok doesn't do group chats? They don't do group chats. No. What do you so, mean by that? Like on Instagram DMs, like you probably have a group chat oh, where you circulate memes or, you know, oh, viral so you have things to send or whatever. Like one by one. So with TikTok, they don't let you do group chats. And so it's only available to select users. And so they'll actually make you, when you have a fun TikTok and say like your boy is not on TikTok, you have to go in there and message it to him yeah. so that he then has to go click yeah. it. And they're basically just increasing the number of at bats they have to actually convert this person that is a holdout, right? TikTok knows that, I mean, they've been the number one app on the App Store for a long time. Minute. Like they they know that everyone's at least borderline aware of them. So now it's a conversion game, right? How can we get people who are aware of us, have chosen not to sign up with us for whatever concern that may be yeah. to finally like submit? And so they make you text it and you have to open the app and they're like, do you want to sign in? You can create an account. All you got to do is give us your phone number and then you can have all these like... It's a crazy, crazy flywheel that they've created. There are so many people that I know have joined TikTok because of that. Because right. the fact that I've texted them a link to a video that I'm like, dude, you got to check out this TikTok. And they don't have TikTok. And yeah. then they sign up for TikTok. The other company that does it well is Superhuman, the email yeah, software. Exactly. Every email you send says sent with Superhuman. Yeah. Right. And it's just like you edit it. You send probably what? 50 to 100 emails a day, depending on your job title, your job role, like yeah. you're getting that in front of so many people. 100%. I mean, we've built it in at Spellbound. Every interactive widget is made with Spellbound. You know, I think it's kind of like this, uh, it's it's hit a point where it is a best practice. Yeah. Like product-led growth teams are always going to include that in their, in their feature mapping. But um, doing it right, is is the thing that I think you got to catch lightning in a bottle. 100%. And I really feel like Fireflies, having that seat at the table, they could just screen record. They could just plug into your mic. But, but no, they they're, have no to, they're like, they're a seat at the table. They're right there. Yeah. They're right there in the meeting. Dude, the other super interesting one is Whoop. Yeah. So Whoop has this feature on within the app where instead of like using your phone or your camera to just record something and record your workout, they make it super interesting where you can use the the in-app camera and that pulls in all of your stats from Whoop. So like if you're currently running three miles and your heart, uh, your heart rate's 175 beats per minute, like you could pull all these stats in and it'll be around the camera or around like the, yeah, around the camera, like while you record. And it allows you to then upload it to IG, upload it to TikTok, whatever it is. But now every time I upload an IG story and I use the Whoop live camera, yeah. I'm getting everybody that's unaware of Whoop or on the fence of Whoop to now see what the product is. It's yeah. not even just a built with Whoop or a built with, you know, MailChimp or Beehive, whatever it is. It is now, I get to see the full flesh like 
It's like a product. Preview. Yeah, like yeah. A little premium trial almost. Yeah. It's so. super it's super dope. And like I, I haven't written about it yet. And marketing exam is one I wanted to write about. I have to talk to somebody. Be interesting to see like the numbers behind it. Like, are you guys doing how anything that, that tracks? Yeah, like yeah. Is, are you guys doing anything that tracks like how many people sign up through this or even just like how many people view your product because of this, et cetera. But it's it's super interesting. You got something else? I do. So for any young hustler out there, you got to understand the importance of a cold email, right? Getting in front of somebody that you otherwise would not be able to run into real life. Like a lot of people have successfully done this. There's a legendary story about a kid who interv- he emailed Evan Spiegel, uh, the Snapchat CEO. And he was like, hey, bro, like, I'm trained in these different coding languages. Can I have a job? And Spiegel was like, thank you for keeping it short and simple. Uh, here's our lead recruiter. So um, just wanted to do a quick overview of two guys who have done pretty well in life. And uh, they've given kind of their secret formula to making a successful cold email. Number one, Tim Ferriss, entrepreneur, famous podcast host, like just overall legend. He, When he wants to get in touch with somebody, this is what he says. says, I know you're super busy and I'm sure you get lots of messages. This will only take 30 seconds. He then adds one sentence to establish his credibility asks a very specific question, and then finishes with, I totally understand if you are too busy to respond, but even a one or two word answer would really make my day. Yeah. What a nice, wholesome guy. Amazing, right? Uh, That probably works pretty well if you're Tim Ferriss. I think you might want to be a little more specific, a little less fluff if you're, you know, maybe someone who listens to the Sweat Equity podcast. I feel like most people got a Tim Ferriss cold email like that, they'd be excited to respond. Or they'd be excited to see it, right? Yeah, like, if I see Tim Ferriss yeah. and it's from Tim at something, then I'm like, hold on. 100%. Because uh, I'm, I'm on that newsletter. So, you know, I'm not getting the personal touch. Five bullet or whatever. Yeah. So um, another guy that we're big fans of, Sean Perry, uh, he's huge on Twitter at Sean VP. Uh, he's got a style that I think is much more applicable for most people. And he even gives a little bit of kind of background on what you should use as a subject line. So your subject line should always get their attention right? Don't just say quick question, comma, Alex, like say something that, hey, need you to open this to verify or, you know, you don't have to be clickbaity, but like stand out in the inbox where you're not just sending something. The subject line is the first thing and only thing they're going to see if they do not open the message. Right. Got to be creative there. Yeah. And a lot of people talk about this in our industry of where should you spend your time? Should you be writing the body of the text or you should be writing the headline? Truthfully, no one wants to admit it. You should be writing the headline because that's the thing that's actually going to get people to read the body. Uh, moving into what he says, you should structure the body. So it's four four lines. Make sure that everything is short, punchy, and one line. The first one, personal touch. Make it flattery, but don't be cringe. Your goal here is just to not come off as mass spam. Make it clear that you're sending this email to this person, something that they may have done. You may have watched them in a podcast, whatever. The second thing is directly state the benefits that you're offering them, right? What are you going to do for them? Are you going to save them time? Are you going to make them more money? Try and put it in those two buckets. Number three, establish your credibility. You want to put this into two buckets. Number one, I am smart. These are things that you might have a portfolio. You might be X, Y Combinator. You might have been featured in Forbes 30 under 30. Other bucket is I'm successful. I've done X in bootstrapped revenue. I've yeah. sold this company. You know, maybe you graduated summa cum laude. Whatever it is, like 
just include something that establishes your credibility. Final component, a simple ask. Something that they can respond with yes or no. As long as this busy person can literally just say, yes, I'm interested or no, don't talk to me again, that's a win for you because you're really just trying to get the reply. So quick cold email masterclass there. Use that to get in touch with whoever you might you know, think can advance whatever you're building or trying to get to next. Obviously, with marketing exam, we have to send a ton of cold emails, right? Yeah. We have to try to find sponsors, partners, whatever for, for the newsletter. And so we've tried multiple variations of different templates. One of the ones that's worked best for us has just been a one-liner. Yeah. Hey, blank. Is there any reason you're not using newsletters as, as an acquisition channel? Hey, blank. I saw you're running a LinkedIn ad. Would you want to test a newsletter to see if it has a lower CAC? Like just a one-liner where they could be like, yeah, I'm interested. You yeah. want to make it like a, this is something I learned from Sam, but, and Sam's phenomenal with cold emailing is you want to make it so simple to reply. Like it is, you, your whole goal is just just start the conversation. So then, then you can do all the other aspects of it. Yeah. The good one with Sean Perry is like, at the end of it, your, your goal is just to get some form of a reply. And if you can do that, then you are just light years ahead of anybody else running cold emails that they're, I mean, kissing your ass, they're putting all this content in there about you. Or just being irrelevant. Yeah, dude. And like, yeah. just like, a, just a bunch of fluff. It's just like, dude, get straight to the point. If you could help me do X, ask me, like, form a question which helps me see that you can help me do X. Yeah. No, 100%. I think uh, it's kind of the same thing as like when you're sending like a risky text, even, you know, it's like, just get right to it. Like, don't, don't add all that fluff in between. Down? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Down? So, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, no, but seriously, Thoughts? like, uh, you really need to, you know, always keep it concise, you know, optimize for clarity and just make sure that it's super simple for someone to respond. That was a lot of good content. It's going to be good. I got That'd heat for next one. week too. So yeah. if you watch this episode, we have heat for next week, but, um, if you want more of this, subscribe to Sp on Spotify, Apple podcasts on YouTube. Um, and then you can follow me at Alex Garcia underscore ATX on X on Instagram. And I'm starting to post TikToks now. Yeah, there you go. Damn. But my thing catching, is uh, catching the X. Yeah, that was weird. I'm still, I still might have to say Twitter. I still call Twitter. I might be a holdout. I still call Twitter. But Brian, where they where can they find you at, dude? Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, just Brian Bloom. Um, Shit, you and plugged, then, in, plugged in the LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'm trying to make connections. Shit. Uh, and then Twitter at Brian underscore Bloom one. Please use the end of this segment to change your LinkedIn DMs. <laughs> please like take take notes and fix your linkedin if Not there's you, one takeaway yeah if there's one takeaway just like learn that just don't don't spam the linkedin dms right, okay we're notes. gonna i'm gonna pull up my whatever is my first linkedin dm and see what it is i got a good one in the meantime while you're looking it up we had a guy uh he said congrats on your most recent newsletter sponsorship and the daily dropout and i was like uh never sponsored the daily dropout what are you talking about we were organically featured in Daily Dropout in February. It's currently September. And this guy was just clearly scraping yeah, yeah, you know, newsletter mentions or whatever. And it's just like, dude, don't get me wrong. If he sent that to a thousand people and 30 of them it hit, then that works. But it's not a good end experience for someone like me. Look at the first one I pulled up. Literally, the first one I pulled up. Context. I've only ever been in marketing, media, and you know entrepreneurship. Hi, Alex. I came across your profile and believe your background and experience fits well with a Topper's Pizza franchise opportunity. <laughs> we are seeking entrepreneurs to own and operate independent restaurant units within our company. 
our unwavering commitment to quality pizza. Bro, they don't know that I worked at Domino's in college. That's why. (laughs) Coupled with our efficient operations and cutting edge technology for seamless delivery is propelling us to the forefront of the industry. Toppers is prime for fast growth with key markets still available. It's easy as filling out the form below to learn more and join us in our climb to the top of the pizza industry. We will follow up and schedule a time to discuss. Talk soon. Are you going to act like that wasn't a good direct response to sales Because, <laughs> I mean, I might, I might have to get a pizza shop. You know what the worst it. part is? She said it's easiest filling out the form below. No there form. was no form below. No form. No form. Damn. All right. Well, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. We'll see you all next week. Peace.